Welcome to Engage Your Tribe, a podcast about the art and science of audience engagement. I'm Jeremy Shear, founder and CEO of Tribal Knowledge Podcasting, and my guest is Scott Lavery, VP of Marketing at Appsian. Scott, it's good to see you. How are you doing? Very well. Thanks for having me. You are very welcome. So tell us about Appsian. Yeah, sure. Appsian provides software that essentially enables the security and compliance of business data. So we're sort of uniquely positioned if you kind of think of traditional security companies as focused on keeping bad people out of systems, networks, databases, things like that. What Appsian is doing is essentially focused on ensuring that internal users and third parties, the people that would access business systems are having very strict controls around what they can do. So essentially aligning the business policies of the business with the security and compliance needs that the market dictates. So there's Sarbanes-Oxley and GDPR mm -hmm. and things like that. And uh, we're basically ensuring that, that large enterprises can make sure that people can only do what they're supposed to do and only see what they're supposed to see and then provide all the proof and documentation of that as they get audited on a yearly basis. Okay, great. Thanks for that. Now, just sure. quickly, who are your main targets? Who is your audience mostly? It's primarily IT. We're very focused within certain ERP, enterprise resource planning, uh, software communities. So Oracle, SAP, uh, for instance. So there are large organizations within the IT organization that focus purely on the administration and pretty much everything that revolves around these type of systems, since they can be the financial system of record, the HCM system of record, supply chain, pretty much the brain of the organization from an operational standpoint. So, so yeah, so we're pretty much focused on the IT group and various stakeholders. Sometimes the finance group, audit and compliance tend to sit under finance. So sometimes we'll be messaging to them, but it's primarily an IT message, I would say. Okay. And now I know that to engage with that audience, you put a lot of time and effort into thought leadership. So first, what does that term mean to you? And, and why do you value thought leadership as a marketing strategy? Yeah, sure. I mean, thought leadership to me really means taking an objective view of the market and then messaging with that objective view in mind. So it's really important in our world. We're not a commodity sale. We tend to have to be very value driven because we're always talking about how people can improve their systems versus ripping something out and replacing it with us. So what that typically means is, I mean, we really have to be centered on the market at all times. And we have to be looking at the market. We have to be studying the market. We have to be reflecting the voice of the market. And really the benefit of that from a marketing standpoint is our message is essentially evolving at the speed of the market. And we're always kind of staying on top of what our you know customer ultimately wants versus the speed of product development, which a lot of companies do. Product development comes out with something, marketing has to take it to market. And that's basically how the business runs. And in our case, it's a little more backwards. We, we really are looking at the market as being the, the North Star of where we take our message and ultimately take our product. So that really ends up being the value is my message ends up staying as relevant as possible for as long as possible. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's interesting. Uh, and I just want to make sure I understand. So when you say staying objective, to me, that kind of sounds like sort of looking at it almost like as a reporter, like following the facts and the data where they lead and kind of letting that drive your messaging and, and just being on top of those trends and being able to talk about them thoughtfully, which, you know, 
and, and, and that makes total sense. I think, and I ask because I think another way of looking at thought leadership is that it's kind of not necessarily to be objective, but to have strong opinion, mm-hmm. to have sort of insights based on reason and fact, but also opinion and kind of putting out new ideas, not just sort of reporting on what already exists. Do you know what I mean? Like, what, oh, yeah. where do you stand on that? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally with you. I, I think it's, it's important to acknowledge that people always want the how. They're not reading your stuff to do a book report. They ultimately want the how. They want the practical takeaway. So it's, it's a balancing act. I think it's, it's all in how you frame and, and ultimately what your, what your approach is. If your approach is to be completely self-promotional, that's going to come out. If your approach yeah. is to objectively look at a market challenge, address the market challenge objectively, and then basically guide the message toward how you can solve that challenge, then that's exactly what the reader wants. Because I'm not going to spend my time reading a lengthy article about demand generation, ultimately to find that I just read a book report about demand generation. So I already know what that is. Give me a takeaway. Give me something. So I, I don't think there, there needs to be a, a hard line between promotion and thought leadership. You just kind of have to make sure that the thought leadership horse comes before the cart, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, let's let's talk a little bit more about that, because I think that really speaks to the heart of what I might call like the trick with thought leadership. The fine balance, as you were just saying, between avoiding any kind of self-promotion right? At least blatant self-promotion. And yet everybody knows that thought leadership is a marketing tool and a tactic. The goal is to draw people to you into your world and eventually convert them into customers. I mean, there is a commercial angle to it. How do you strike that balance? Like what's your strategy for doing that? Because I think that's where the content's going to either succeed or fail based on how Mm -hmm. you manage that balance, right? Yeah. It's, it's being honest, I think. (laughs) At the end of the day, I always say that, that whether it's demand generation or product marketing, it's all about alignment. It's all about your message being aligned with, with market expectations or the expectations of a reader. So how do you balance it? It, it really starts with just being honest. I think that it's easy to, to run out and say, well, I align to this and this and this and this. I should talk about this, this and this. And ultimately, if you can't, you're just kind of doing more harm than good. So I think what we're always very cognizant of is if we're going to take somebody down a path labeled X, we're going to frame up the X problem and we're going to make the X problem sound like it's the end of the universe, then we better ensure that the solution aligns to X. It doesn't kind of take a hard left and go in another direction. And there are plenty of examples of bad content marketing where that's kind of happens. Like we're going to really end with this one thing because, you know, we think we have your eyeballs and then we're basically going to start talking about another thing. And so that might not be super specific, but, you know, in our content meetings, that's always something that I'm making sure that is vocalized to me before we move forward with a piece is like, okay, well, so we've got this framing mechanism. How are we aligning to it? Are we ensuring that we are going to address all of the end of the world things that we had talked about in our framing. If we're addressing it through the lens of us, I mean, I think that's fine. I think that's kind of the practical how that ultimately isn't a bad thing, but you just have to make sure that the two align. The moment people Mm -hmm. don't feel like they are aligned with what you were saying, it's over. That's it. I mean, they don't have an imagination. They don't have any time for you. It's really just the moment you lose somebody kind of at a cognitive level, they're done. 
Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I kick back pieces all the time and say, you, you lost me and I do this for a living. I, I, I think about us for a living. And if, if I can't hang with you, then, you know, the CIO of whatever, who's got a 90 million emails to respond to, as opposed to, you know, reading your stuff is certainly not going to follow along. Yeah. As a, as a, from the point of view of a consumer of thought leadership content, or just in my own personal case, I guess one criteria I have for it is I consider it to be good content, like high quality. If even if I'm have no intention of signing up for the demo or buying whatever service the company is is offering, that that the thought leadership piece is still engaging and I still learn something from it. In other words, it's still offering me value, even if I it didn't ask for anything from me in return. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like absolutely that. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the piece that just clearly doesn't give you anything unless you're willing to give the email or do this or sign up or whatever. Like to me, that's the difference. Mm-hmm. And, and and I think that's reflected in there was a study this past year by Edelman and LinkedIn called the B2B Thought Leadership Impact Study. It found that, quote, a pandemic-induced glut of low-quality content is diluting the perceived value of thought leadership among B2B decision makers, end quote. Hmm. So in your view, what distinguishes high-quality content from low-quality content? Yeah, no, great question. I mean, I could, it would be great to kind of go back and address the whole you know, pandemic situation. Cause I think mm-hmm. everybody's field marketing and event marketing budget blew up. They realized they weren't going to conferences and they dumped everything into content marketing and digital. So what that ended up happening was marketing looked inward and said, how much content can we create as fast as we can create it? So they came, you know, they brought a bunch of writers on and they, okay, so we're just going to load up our website with all kinds of stuff. And, and that created a huge volume, but I think it, it contributed to what you're saying about low quality content and low quality content being self-promotional content, at least in my estimation. I mean, I kind of think of high quality content being mostly reflected by how much voice of the market is in it. There's a reason that the the highest quality content comes out of the thought leaders of a market, which could be analyst groups, Gartner, Forrester, these type of groups. They are writing from the perspective of the market usually. They do surveys, they are very in touch with their readership, and they are basically reflecting what that market is saying mm-hmm. to them, and they are writing on that. They're not you know, self-promotional, they're not trying to guide everybody back to why you should be using advisory services. Yeah. I mean, it is entirely about making the market reflect inside the content. At the end of the day, if people are trying to evaluate a solution for a particular problem, or they're even evaluating a piece of software, I mean, they want an objective view. And so at the end of the day, self-promotional is kind of the low quality content. And if you're willing to put in the work, do surveys, poll your customers, go to your customer success team and say, give me the last multiple, you know, case studies or use cases or whatever that you found interesting and write about that and focus your content on that as opposed to, well, we have this feature. So let's think about all the things that this feature can do. And we're going to write about those things and we're going to lead everybody back to the feature, you know? low quality content. That's the stuff that nobody really is interested in unless they are very specifically placed at a part of your marketing funnel, as in at the bottom of it. So if they're at the top of it, they're interested in, in how you align to the market. So high quality content, bar none, always influenced by how much voice of market is ultimately. Yeah. It's a good point. What do you think about content that isn't like the bottom feeder content like that? 
but it's also not at the top level of based on original research, right? Mm-hmm. What about the content that's kind of somewhere in between that's kind of regurgitating points that have already been made? In my mm-hmm. view, at, at its best, that content maybe has a new spin on a fact mm-hmm. pattern or a set of data or presents represents something that somebody else said, but in a particularly interesting way or reinforces mm-hmm. it or something. The stuff that I don't find very engaging, and I and I seem to stumble across a lot of it, is stuff that just comes off as totally obvious, right? Mm-hmm. Like in my world, I read a lot of, you know, five tips for promoting your podcast or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the stuff I read, like there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, I feel like I'm reading the same thing over and over and over. You know what I mean? I'm not seeing a yeah. lot of new ideas and that's lower quality, right? I mean, in your industry, does it kind of play out the same way? Do you think? Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, the foundation of SEO strategies, a lot of times is repurposing content. So yeah. a lot of it can be taking a central piece of content, creating 10 versions of it and posting it other places and sending people back to your you know, yeah. website. So that's the foundation of low quality content. It has no originality. It has no point of view. It's really just kind of a book report through a different yeah. flavor or lens. So what I have time and time again requested that our the blog on our website really be is I think of our blog as being relatively self-promotional. I, I, the blog is about us. It is our voice. And that's kind of why I say over and over again, like we have a section on our website for thought leadership. That's kind of more your objective market view type stuff. And then we have our blog and the blog is our voice hundred percent. And whenever we're talking about topics and somebody pitches me a topic, well, okay, then, you know, that's great. What's the, yeah. what's the, what creative take are we going to, and if what I get back is, well, we need to write about this particular feature. So we're going to write about this use case of the feature. I, I tend to kick it back. I say, well, we just have to be more creative than that. You can take the use case, case study with however you want to frame it, view almost on any topic. Hey, I just got out of this meeting with a customer and I learned about this particular use for the product. And if you are using that as the voice for how you're writing about a particular challenge or writing about a particular feature. It at least kind of sounds like it's coming from the customer. It has, yeah. it has an angle. It has a point of view. It has a perspective. Nobody wants to read a book report. And so I think to what you were saying of anything that sounds like it could be a Wikipedia entry, it, it, yeah, I think people get hip to that pretty quick. And if they're going to spend their time reading a blog or an article or something, I mean, they just wanted to have a point. Give me something that I don't already know. I mean, it can, the content can generally be about something that you're familiar with, but yeah, if there's no perspective, if there's no point of view, there's just kind of a waste of time. Right. Or, you know, at the very least, like have a style, have Mm -hmm. like a a, a voice that's unique or something, even if you're not like breaking new ground, at least have like an attitude or something like that. It just so much comes off as very bland. And I think that's largely probably mostly driven by it's easier to do that. It -hmm. takes less time and less work. And it just simply takes more time to come up with something more engaging, more original, more that takes thought. It takes time and it probably takes drafts and revisions to really get it right. Well, you you bring up a good point. And it's it's where like the, you know, CPG industry and some of these kind of more well-known brands that are consumer facing uh, adopted a long time ago. They took their social and 
gave their social a personality. It's it's the classic like Wendy's presents these cheeky answers to right. things, and they're always calling people out. But it obviously has nothing to do with with hamburgers and French fries. But it's a point of view. It's a it's a voice. It's something that people now become familiar with. And so I, I, it's one of the most brilliant innovations to come out of when old industry filled with giant kind of aging brands that mm. I've seen in a, in a long time. And I think the software companies, the tech companies, whatever, B2B companies can definitely adopt that. Their blog is probably a better place to do it because nobody wants to have like their security vendor have quippy tweets. Right. <laughs> it doesn't right. tend yeah. to look very good. But nonetheless, it, it's, it, it's one of those kind of things I think you can take from a different industry and apply it, you know, to your own company. Yeah. I mean, that's like it's a whole other discussion, right? We could easily do a whole podcast mm -hmm. just about that, what yeah. you can take from B2C to B2B. And and obviously, it's not just a perfect match, right? Like there's a, a degree yeah. of irreverence or, that you can adopt in a B2C ad for like Geico or something, like where a yeah. lot of ads you see are just like bizarre, you know, or weird. Yeah. And in the B2B space, that would probably play somewhat differently depending <laughs> on what you're doing. There's less room for that. Yeah. yeah, there's less room for that. But I, but I agree with you. I think that there seems to be kind of a, a t two things are too buttoned down. There's mm -hmm. too, too much conformity to like a very kind of, we're just all business and there seems to be very little room or, or a lot of companies in their content marketing don't f feel either the need or, or the ability to kind of, yeah, go a little to kind of zag or everybody's zigging or whatever. Like I don't see yeah. a lot of that. Do you? It's, it's tough. I, I see it sometimes in, in like LinkedIn profiles and things like that, but what I feel like the, the B2C side, they focus on advertising. Yeah. Uh, I started my career in advertising actually, and, and working with CPG brands. And you spend a lot of time just creatively thinking about how to sell a hamburger, what imagery, what messaging. It's not about the quality always. It's not about the message of it. So what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to like spend 30 seconds saying how your burger is a certain way. No, you want to leave an impression. And so that's where a lot of those dollars are just kind of focused. And that type of strategy just hasn't really translated to, to B2B because what we're selling is typically solutions that solve problems that are problems across multiple people. There's never yeah. one buyer in, in my sales cycle. There's a dozen buyers in my sales cycle. So we kind of have to be very ubiquitous with our message, but very consistent. And consistency doesn't always lend itself to creativity. It usually means that you're pretty conservative and you kind of have to you know, s stick with a path and you right. know, go down it. But it, it yeah, it, 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 it's, it's washed away a lot of the creativity that I've probably had over the course of my career. Yeah. I mean, but, yeah. well, it, but it's, I mean, you can be creative in B2B marketing. It's just a different kind of creativity, yeah. I think, or the, the, the rules and parameters are different. I mean, like mm -hmm. in the B2C world, if you're selling, if you're Wendy's, you're selling a commodity, right? Mm -hmm. And so Absolutely. of course you're not going to get anywhere by, going on and on about how you, the quality of your burger is better. No one believes that really. No one cares even, right? Yeah. It's all about a feeling like a brand and, and mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And, but, but I think a, a kind of ironically a little bit in the B2C world, I mean, in the B2B world, you have to have, you can't be, you can't be a commodity, right? It just doesn't work. Like you have to have a very specific mm -hmm. solution to a specific problem especially in the tech space, like what you guys do, oh, right? Yeah. Like you yeah. have to be very specific. And in a way, the more specific you are, the less room there is in your messaging for the kind of broader, irreverent style, because 
you have enough to do just to educate people on what it is that you do and why your solution matters, right? Like that's a heavy lift, just that in the most straightforward way. Do you agree? Oh, a hundred percent. I don't have to, like if I was Wendy's, I don't have to educate you on what a burger is at the same time promoting my burger. I have to do that a lot of the time in in my world. I have to educate and promote. So that's where thought leadership is is more of a thing on the B2B side and where it's massive on the software side because there every single category is filled, you know, with different solutions and to be honest, larger companies can especially in in the applications that I'm influencing could just go hire 100 developers and spend a year and a half and tons of money trying to fix the problem themselves. So I run up again, should I fix the problem myself with a bunch of internal resources or should I, you know, buy this? So I'm educating on the value of buying something to begin with on top of educating around how we solve a particular challenge. And then, oh yeah, I've got to be a brand that people trust because we're a security company and you don't just go into the yellow pages and just go to the S's and find a security company. Yeah, it's it's where that combination of being thoughtful and ubiquitous with your messaging becomes so critical. You can't just blast people. You have to really kind of take a careful approach. And then you also have to take a multi-channel approach. Similarly to advertising, you have your broadcast and your digital. You have to be at the conferences. You have to have an SEO strategy. You have to be in Google advertising. You have to have your outbound emails. You have to have your socials, all these types of things all happening simultaneously. And it's yeah. it's just about being where people are all the time and having just like these little bit of seeds and nuggets of your messaging kind of seeping in at different times. It becomes unbearable. The status quo becomes unbearable. You're right there. Yeah. Uh, to be the website form that somebody fills out when they want a demo of your solution. Right. Because they, you've earned their trust. I mean, I think that's yep. kind of like the big, that's the, really the whole point of all of this, right? It's based on the premise that in the B2B world, you get business by by developing relationships with decision makers and to the point that they trust you. Oh, yeah. And, and that's Massive really, I mean, that's the, that's, those things have to be in place. And the theory here is, well, thought leadership is one way to earn that trust. It's part of the puzzle to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's essential. It's, it's the first chapter of the book. If you're yeah. missing it, everything you do downstream is useful. Yeah. Okay, well... Scott, there, there's a lot more I actually want to talk about, but we're kind of out of time. So we could do part two, perhaps, if you're up for sure. it. Um, yeah, absolutely. But for now, thank you so much for your time and for a, a great conversation. I thought that was really good. Yeah. Thanks, Jeremy. Appreciate the time. That's it for this episode of Engage Your Tribe. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over-the-top comment about how much you love the podcast. You know you want to. If you're a marketer or an internal communicator and you're interested in podcasting, we've got tons of free resources on the website at tribknowledge.com. That's T-R-I-B knowledge.com. Thanks for listening and staying engaged.